Father, we give thanks today for the countless men and women who've gone before us, whose lives pointed to you and who invite us to do the same. And so we ask by your Holy Spirit's work in each of us that we would be empowered to live lives worthy of God. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, again, good morning to you all. I hope you had a wonderful Halloween, whatever Halloween looked like for you this year. Uh, it seems as though some people were able to have a somewhat normal Halloween. We, uh, we've recently moved out to the country, and so we literally have no neighbors, and so uh, it was very difficult to find a way to trick-or-treat. Um, no one came to our door, uh, and so we kind of just stuck around and stayed at home. Uh, we put on costumes and just stayed at home uh, as a family. And in many ways, it felt the way Halloween has always felt for me, because that's how I grew up observing Halloween. Uh, I love my parents dearly, and they were doing their very best uh, raising uh, all of us, five of us. Uh, and yet there was a moment there in the 90s as a kid coming of age in a very conservative evangelical subculture uh, that Halloween was like the one night of the year Jesus was no longer king. <laughs> like Jesus was on his throne ruling and reigning every other day, but Halloween, we just had to, to weather the storm. I was joking with uh, one of you last week. It, it felt as though... Um, I could identify with the Israelites on the night of Passover when Halloween came because it was the one night a year that we, uh, instead of painting our doorposts with blood, we put candy out and hoped that the angel of death would pass by. Uh, and so we quite literally, when I was a kid, we would go in our basement and hide and just wait for the night to, to pass. Um, I've reflected on this many times. Like that's an that's a interesting thing as a child to go through uh, in many ways. I still distinctly remember being probably eight or nine years old, and uh, before we got to the basement one year, uh, they were out early trick-or-treating before it had, had gotten dark, and one of my neighbors had on like one of those scream masks, you remember, with the long face, and uh, they were probably 12 or 13 years old, and yet I was convinced the devil himself had showed up at our door and uh, was just horrified, horrified by the whole thing. And so it was a, it was a traumatic night of the year. Uh, we couldn't even turn the TV on because you know, even the television you know, was full of all the, the goblins and you know, the whole thing. Um, mixed into all of that, I also in the back of my mind knew somehow this had something to do with Christianity. Didn't know what, but I knew Halloween somehow was tied into uh, our Christian faith. Uh, my Lutheran and Presbyterian neighbors and friends would, you know, sometimes call it a Reformation Day. Uh, my Catholic neighbors, I knew this was when they would all um, pray for the souls of their loved ones to have their time in purgatory shortened. Like, just in general, it was a very confusing weekend. And um, some of you may resonate with that. Some of you may, may say, what happened to you? <laughs> what, what world did you grow up in? And we could talk about that later. Um, all that to say, I'd love to kind of um, reclaim this week weekend for us a bit, um, not just the, the trick-or-treating side of things, but uh, ways in which Christians have observed these three days really actually for centuries, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this has been a really significant weekend 
in the life of the Christian church, in the life of Christians who journey with our Lord and with one another through life. And uh, this is a bit of a departure. Normally at Trinity, what we do, almost without exception, is we preach an expository sermon where we take one of the readings from the day and we say, Lord, would you speak to us through this? And we really let the text then set our talking points and define where we're headed. Uh, Matthew 5 is the reading assigned for All Saints Day, and we preached on this just a few months ago. In February, this was also the assigned reading, because we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And um, so way back then, you know, it feels like that was nine or ten years ago in 2020, but in February, we preached on this, and you could go find it on the podcast. I did a very detailed expository sermon on Matthew 5, on the Beatitudes. And I don't want to do that today, other than just to maybe, as a way of reminder, the reason this is also assigned again here on on all saints is because it's a picture of what it means to be a saint. This is a, a, a picture of what it means to be a, someone who is blessed by God, who lives in a state of blessing with God. You, you may remember if you were there or heard it um, way back in February, uh, this is a picture of a state of blessing, a state of being. In the Bible, there are two words for blessing. One is the way we would ask God's blessing on someone or on our own lives. Uh, the other word for blessing is a statement of being that says you are blessed even if your circumstances seem to say otherwise, even if the details of your life are a place of sorrow or struggle or challenge because you are filled with the life of God, you in that moment are a blessed person. And I think it's through that lens that we read this passage and that we sit with this on all saints to say, let's reflect through that lens on those who have lived in a state of great blessing because that's by and large been very true of the saints. The saints that we remember in the life of the church, almost all of them endured incredible suffering and sorrow difficulty and pain in their lives, and yet we look back at them, and we don't reflect on that as much as we say through their pain and through their sorrow, they still were blessed by God. They lived in the blessing of God, and so we look at them um, for their example and for encouragement for us to say, could we then do the same? Whatever struggles we're facing, and in 2020, it's probably not hard for us to identify things that are a challenge or difficult in our lives. We do so with the saints in mind and say, as they endured with great joy and blessing, we can do the same. I think of, every year I think of uh, these words from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, where it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us all lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And so today we really do two things. We celebrate the saints that have gone before and we look to them, see in them an invitation to go and then do the same, to live the kind of life that they also lived. All saints is for us an invitation to be a saint. And you could then say, well, what is a saint? I recently uh, heard it described this way, uh, really simply but powerfully by a man named Bishop Robert Barron, who's a, a wonderful gift to the church. And he said, well, what's a saint? Well, a saint uh, literally means someone who is holy, someone who is sanctified. And then you could say, well, then what does it mean to be holy? 
And he says, well, to be holy is to be, to be like God. And then who is God? Well, God is love. Time and time again, we have been told God is love. And therefore, if love is to will the good of someone else, love is to will the good of the other, that's a classical definition of love, you could follow and then say, to be a saint is someone who has cultivated a habit of living their life in every way for the good of others cultivated a way of living where they have habitually learned to give their life away for the good of others. That's at, it, at the core what it means to be a saint. And you say, well, I can try, but I fail time and time again. And of course we do. But because we fail, it doesn't mean we should change the goal. It doesn't mean the aim and the destination where we're headed is any different. We still strive to be people who live in every area of our lives for the good of others. I love the way St. John Climacus put it. He said this, he said, do not be surprised that you fall every day. Do not give up, but stand your ground courageously. And I think that's the invitation on all saints. Don't be surprised that you don't live perfectly as a saint. There is no surprise there. That has never been uh, something for which you should have alarm or, or cause for concern, uh, except if it lets you then give in to that and say, then why even bother? Why even bother with this call upon my life? And he says, no, don't be surprised, but still live courageously. Still live your life in such a way where this is the aim and this is what you resolve to give yourself to every day when you wake up. And when you fail every night, when you put your head on the pillow, you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, for the ways I failed to live in that kind of love. And would you help me go and do otherwise? Would you help me to do differently? So before we keep going down that road, let's just frame this a little bit. I mentioned a weekend, not just one day, All Saints, but Halloween's connected to it somehow. Uh, All Souls Day is a feast of the Western Church that's observed tomorrow on November the 2nd. How do these all hold together? What in the world does this have to do uh, with what by and large has become a cultural moment for um, unapologetic gluttony around sugar? You know, just infinite sugar consumption and dressing up. And then uh, we've kind of forgotten what this even means. Well, Halloween, quite literally, in the name, there's a bit of a clue because it comes from a Scottish phrase, which means all hallows even, quite literally, an all holy evening. And that comes from a very ancient custom where Christians would gather in prayer the night before a significant feast or day of worship in the life of the church, all the way really back to the Jewish people as well, gathering the evening before as the beginning of that day. And so um, the only reason we have Halloween is because we have All Saints Day. And All Saints Day began very early in the Western church. It, it kind of sprung up in the Irish communities, the Celtic communities, these early uh, Christian communities in the British Isles. And yet by about the ninth century, All Saints Day was solidified across the Western church as a day of remembering the saints that have gone before. And so we really have lost that sense of a vigil. We don't keep vigil the way Christians often have. I think the closest we maybe still have is the idea of Christmas Eve. Traditionally, the Christmas Eve service was to get you ready to go to church on Christmas Day, which is largely a lost custom, at least in our country. Um, but we still have that idea of a vigil where you kind of go to church intentionally in the evening, the evening before. Rarely is a Christmas Eve service at 1 p.m., doesn't quite feel like Christmas Eve, right? Because it's meant to be tied to the next day. And that's the idea behind Halloween. It's all holy evening, the evening before All Saints Day. 
Then you also have All Souls Day, which was a very strange one. Even as I was in seminary and coming uh, into Christian ministry, I never quite knew what to do with that one. Um, and, and in some ways, for good reason. And in an Anglican context, much of the origins of All Souls Day is something that's a bit foreign to us. Because uh, in the Middle Ages, it grew up as a way to, uh, by prayers or acts of piety, shorten the amount of time your loved ones spent in purgatory. And Anglicans don't really have a category for purgatory, and so it was hard to make sense of that. However, in recent years, many Anglican communities and other Christian communities have pulled that day back in and said, maybe it's almost like an extension of All Saints Day. And here's how. Most of the time, All Saints Day, we remember the capital S saints of the capital C church, the people who are known around the world as these well-known icons of the faith. My, my kids are in Catholic school, and they have an All Saints Day parade on Tuesday. It's like All Saints Day meets Halloween, uh, trick-or-treating. And so they all dress up as their favorite saint. Um, all of them are well-known saints. My, uh, my six-year-old, I said, who are you? or my seven-year-old, I said, who are you going as? And he said, uh, he's a very cheeky little monkey. He said, uh, I'm, I'm going as St. Therese. I said, you know she's a nun. He said, I ah, know, I'm just kidding. I'm going as St. Michael the Archangel because he kills dragons. And I said, that's more like it. <laughs> um, but they're not thinking, I'm going to go as my great-grandmother. <laughs> Everyone will go to that parade as a well-known saint. And one of the gifts maybe of all souls, in, in a way that I've seen other communities receive it and would encourage you to as well, is to see it almost as an extension of all saints and as a way to remember those who maybe are only known to you or only known to a few people um, close to you, a small group, and yet lived lives of incredible piety and faithfulness and courage and devotion to Christ. And we need their example just as we need uh, St. Augustine or St. Therese or uh, whomever it may be. And I think that's a really helpful way to think of, uh, of All Souls Day. They almost see it as an extension of this. And I think it actually, in 2020, as I was thinking about it this week, I think it in some ways is a very helpful way for us to humanize the moment we're in. This is not a political statement. This is just the reality of the moment we're in right now. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, we all have a fatigue with it that leaves us wanting to act as though it's not real, and yet a 1,000 people die a day every day in this country. And I think we've become so overwhelmed by that, that, or at least I'll speak for myself, I've become so overwhelmed by that that I've almost become numb to it. And it just seems like statistics that I read on my phone every morning, and I watch it like a, a, a chart, like I read it like a graph. And we miss the fact that in there is a person who was a grandmother or a mother or a son or a daughter or a, a bridesmaid, a maid of honor, on and on we could go. These are beloved people who are known and loved by God and known and loved by many people in their community and yet largely are unknown to us. And in this crisis of a moment that we face, we can miss the fact that they lived beautiful lives, so many of them lives to be celebrated and honored and remembered. And so um, I imagine you also don't have to look very far or wide to think of people dear to you or dear to those you love uh, who we've lost this year. Um, in years past, Trinity has had a, a habit of having a requiem service this time of year where we remember before the Lord those who have died in the last year. Um, I know people who have died from the coronavirus this year. Um, other, other illnesses as well, though. My, my family is still grieving the loss of my wife's grandmother who died just a few months ago, who was, um, it, is, it is impossible to give words to how dear she was to our family. Um, 
unknown by everyone in this room, anyone watching this, unknown by and large by most people in her, in her county, in her city. And yet to those who knew her, she embodied the life of a saint. Because as we defined it earlier, she every day of her life gave her life away for the good of others. She loved others and sought the good of others. And I'm sure there are people in your lives as well um, for whom that is true. And so maybe that's another way to reclaim this whole weekend, not just to uh, think of all the saints as uh, those you would read about on a church calendar or in a history of the Christian faith or whatever it may be, but to celebrate them, but also to say, who are those that brought you along in your own faith? Who has been a saint in your life that you would want to emulate and live in a similar way? I think there's something profoundly beautiful about that because that's what we as Christians do. It's what we have always done as Christians. We don't live in isolation. We're not the first Christians who've ever lived or come along. We say, how do we see those who've come before us as an encouragement and an inspiration, pushing us on ahead to worship? And that's ultimately what we do. We worship alongside them. We don't worship them, but we, without taking away any attention or devotion to Jesus, can say, I see Jesus in them. And as a result, can live like Jesus by following their witness and following their example. Um, our service is very mindful of this. If you notice, as we pray and as we go through our service, we uh, at times say that we join our voices with angels, with archangels, with all the company of heaven. It's another way of saying what we do right here joins with our voice with all the saints who've ever lived, with all those who've gone ahead of us. And I'll, I'll wrap up here just with a simple story. Uh, years ago, my wife and I um, spent a couple of weeks in Italy. We suffered for the Lord at a marriage conference outside of Rome. Um, and yeah, we, <laughs> it was, there was no suffering. It was wonderful. One of the highlights of our lives. And we had a few days to tour. And so we did all the touristy things. Saw all the sights, ate all the food, ate gelato nine times a day. You know, did all the things you do. But one of the things we did that I'd, I'd always heard was worth doing was we went and spent an afternoon at the catacombs outside of Rome. Um, if you ever get a chance to go to Rome, please make it a priority to go to the catacombs. They were incredible. Um, these ancient burial sites where Christians were buried, at the time, outside of the proper city boundaries, outside the city walls, because Christianity in its early days was a minority religious sect and um, was not dignified with a burial within the city walls. And so they dug uh, tombs underground and uh, a labyrinth, you know, just layers and layers and layers. They've only excavated a small percentage of the tombs that are even there. But what they've found is incredible. And so you can go and you go down underneath and um, they've found a tomb of the bishops of Rome, a tomb of the popes, and, you know, where they had six or eight different bishops of Rome, all buried in the same room. Uh, incredible uh, Space And yet the thing that stands out to me, the reason I'm telling you this, is they've also excavated several chapels, churches, quite literally, where the Christians, surrounded by those who have gone before them, built spaces of worship, where they received communion, where they prayed and sung and worshiped, surrounded by those who've gone before, because they remembered something that I think we're prone to forget, that those who've gone ahead of us, we are all together alive in Christ, and we all look ahead in the same way. We all, in the same way, long for that final day when every tear will be dried and all will be made well. That's what we pray when we pray, uh, Christ will come again. We pray that with the saints. And so um, we may not be underground in a catacomb uh, surrounded by those who've gone ahead of us today, but um, I guess my encouragement to you is to find a way to take a step that direction and to say, um, today, tomorrow, 
over the course of this week, give thanks to God for the great heroes of our faith, those who are known to all of us, uh, but also give thanks to God for those who may be only known to you and yet have pushed you on, encouraged you to live a bold and courageous life. I'm gonna close with this. One of my favorite Anglican poets uh, was a man named uh, Thomas Traherne. And I'm gonna close uh, with a poem of his that, uh, that I think is very beautiful that he wrote for All Saints Day. Um, and so hear these words and then we'll continue in prayer. Traherne says this, to delight in the saints of God is the way to heaven. With all their eyes behold our Savior, with all their hearts adore him, with all their tongues and affection praise him. See how in all closets and in all temples, in all cities and in all fields, in all nations and in all generations, the saints are lifting up their hands and eyes unto his cross. And we then delight in all of their adorations. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand as you're able.